We have uh, two great panelists uh, for you this evening. Uh, on the first half of the show, we're going to talk about uh, solar energy, what's happening with the state of California, uh, getting uh, credits cut by the state when you, when you generate your own power. Uh, and we have a great uh, uh, guest with us tonight who's got lots of lots of experience in roofing in, 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 uh, in, in California and also a lot of experience in solar energy and solar programs uh, for new homeowners and existing homeowners. Um, and then the second half of the show, we're going to cover um, Fresno cycling deaths. Uh, Joe Martinez is going to be with us this evening. Uh, he's a board president for statewide advocacy organization for safer streets. Um, and he'll, he has a lot of great feedback on um, how to keep our folks that are cycling safer on the streets of Fresno Clovis. So we'll talk to him uh, and, uh, as soon as we get over the solar stuff. So let's dig right in or dive right in to solar. So Elon Musk came out uh, last week criticizing uh, California's proposal to cut solar energy. If you can put that, uh, there you go, that slide is already up, awesome. Um, and he said it's anti-environment. Uh, basically, when you have a solar panels on, on your rooftop, you have a, a electricity generation plant right on top of your roof uh, on your home creating electricity. Some folks actually don't need electricity from the grid at all. Others you know, um, may need some pg and &E electricity and others will actually be producing more. Uh, but it, what is that rate when we sell it? Uh, Bryce can tell us a typical rate we pay pg and &E. It used to be, I think, uh, started at 12 uh, cents per kilowatt hour and go all the way up to 50 or 60 cents a kilowatt hour. Those rates are going up. They go up, what is it, uh, six, 7% every year. I know Mayor Dyer is urging uh, the Public Utilities Commission and PG&E not to raise rates aggressively over the next few years. It impacts uh, middle uh, income folks and lower income folks substantially more, just like as the price of gas goes up at the pump. Uh, those folks, uh, it's, it's really a, a big tax burden for our uh, lower income folks. So Elon Musk has an issue with it. Um, and uh, how do we handle this additional energy being produced by each of us homeowners that have a solar um, and a, a power generating plant right on top of our roof? So with that, let's, uh, let me introduce to you Bryce Robichu, who is the sales executive at Citadel Roofing and Solar, uh, almost seven years there with the uh, almost 30 years of experience as a, experience as a roofing contractor. Um, anyhow, and, and, a, and a rooftop solar business since the late 90s. So Bryce, welcome to uh, GVR Unfiltered. And uh, tell us about, uh, kind of fill us in on PG&E rates here. I think uh, before the show started, you were talking to Steve Branda about rates in Northern California versus here and then what uh, PUC or the state is proposing to cut the, the amount of dollars paid to each uh, resident for producing their own power. Correct. Thank you, Doris. Thanks for having me tonight. And Steve, it's really nice to meet you as well. Let, let's just do a, a real quick overview of solar in California as, as you know, through the years real quick. You know, it started back when there was some uh, some incentive money. SB1 was signed by the governor, uh, Schwarzenegger, and that, that gave incentive money to get solar rolling. And some rebates were up to $4 a watt. And there were federal tax credits of 30% based on the cost of the system. The whole idea was to get solar going in California because of the sunshine that we have and the, just the, the nature of the state. And the whole idea was to get the cost of solar down to grid parity. You know, so then it cost us you know, the same for solar as it does for electricity. Well, we've far surpassed that. The cost of solar today is probably in the eight to nine cent per kilowatt hour range for um, if you went out and bought a solar system for your home. And that includes the federal tax credit of 26% that you get today. And, and that gets applied to the, um, to the, the actual cost of the, of the solar. So, now we're looking at, you mentioned earlier about the cost of electricity years ago, it used to be 11 cents. And a lot of that baseline was set up 
so that the lower income folks got a real savings on electricity. And then if you were in a bigger house and you used a lot of electricity, well, then you paid more at the upper tiers. But for the lower people that were in, you know, say they're using five, 600 kilowatt hours a month, it didn't hit them as hard. Well, now the rates have just continued to go up and the baseline for uh, uh, off-peak is roughly 22 cents a kilowatt hour. Peak rates are in the 40 cent range and up. And so, to offset that, you know, solar has become very, very popular. Solar is, is a great product. It's a green product, but it's a very economical product. And as you stated earlier, Darius, this is a rooftop power plant for your home. And this produces electricity and it allows folks to lower their, their monthly electric bills substantially by, you know, putting solar on it. Two years ago, we had a mandate passed in California by the CEC that solar will go on all buildings, three stories and less, uh, residential buildings, and that is to be used by the tenants. And then there is a guide, a guideline um, through the, the CBEC software that they created that will tell you how big a system has to be on that. And then we go up from there. So a lot of this is designed to, to help minimize the use of electricity from the grid and allow people to have very clean uh, electricity being you know, produced on their own homes. So now that we've had the mandate and all this has been rolling along and um, things are going well, they, I believe the utilities are filling the pinch of people putting solar on their homes, people putting battery backups in their homes, becoming independent of the utilities and maybe getting some pressure from those utilities that they want you know, to stop this. But, you know, the, the, the horse has left the barn and, and solar is a big deal. So the CPUC uh, was to have a hearing uh, on my notes here on January 27th to have a meeting to discuss this new proposal. And it's called NEM, which is Net Energy Meeting 3.0. We're currently on 2.0. On 2.0, you get the production of your home. Your home uses 800 kilowatt hours of electricity a month you produce 400 kilowatt hours out of the solar. You get that taken right off of your bill. It's a one for one trade pretty much. So you get, you get a clean exchange for power for power. So you produce that power, it comes right off your bill. Now what they wanna do is they wanna add a tax. They wanna add a fee to every kilowatt on your home. For example, a Granville home, average system size is about six kilowatts of power. That would, at the $8 a kilowatt rate that they wanted to propose, that would be $48 a month. So that's an additional $50 tax per month on your house that you'd have to pay. Then they want to manipulate the net energy credit that you get for what you produce. And if you overproduce, you may only get you know, half of that back. So if they're charging 20 cents in, in PG&E, well, they may, they may only give you 10 cents. That's a wild card. We don't know what that number is, but that's how that would work. So you overproduce on your system. You don't get all that credit back. You only get half of it back, let's say. Some of the utilities, some of the municipal utilities in the state already do that. So they, um, they only, they're, they're shooting to only give you uh, part of it back. Today, this afternoon, I got an update on that. And that hearing was pushed off from the 27th to later in the year. And some of the metrics within that, that proposal are already changing to instead of an $8 a watt charge, a, a kilowatt, they may drop it down to two or three. So it's still a wild card. I think people like Elon Musk stepping up, there's been a two or three big rallies where the public has come and spoken and pushed back. Because when you think about it, if they impose these taxes and these fees on solar, it's going to not only impact solar, it's going to impact a lot of jobs in California. The, the, the green energy world, the solar world that we live in every day, we, we employ hundreds of employees to, to supply and install solar to these homes. And if this is dropped, some of these programs could just dry up and go away, in which case the CEC may have to go back and rescind on the mandate because to tell Granville Homes, you have to put solar on these homes, even though it costs more to have solar on the home than it would be without it. We could run into that scenario, depending on whatever the, the, um, the outcome of this, these hearings are. Hey, Bryce, I want to jump in. Um, 
I think that's a great overview. So I have a lot of questions about solar that we can get to this evening, but I want to start with um, just a political, the political side of things. So, you know, I don't, I'm not a solar owner right now. I'm thinking about it. I have a neighbor who uh, put up solar uh, between the two holidays about two weeks ago. Um, so most of my neighbors have some kind of a solar platform. Some of them have been, have solar for 15 years. Some of them, like my neighbor, just put it up. So I'm not a solar user, so I don't quite get everything about it. But it seems like to me that California has been incentivizing solar, and of course, the, with the federal government programs, luring people, homeowners, to get into solar. Now that everybody's into solar, now they're cutting out the, um, the amount of money that they'll get paid back. I remember for years, there was a commercial on TV, watch your meter spin backward. All of this, this energy that you produce is going to get sold back to the grid. You know, you can become a net energy producer and and, you know, all of these gimmicks to get people thinking about it, it, it worked. Now that people are hooked in producing solar, now they're saying, we're not going to pay you as much money for that. To me, it's a classical government switcheroo. I think that's what Elon Musk is talking about. And I mean, it's a stab in the back to the green energy solar industry, in my opinion. I don't know what it does to the other energy producers like PG&E. I don't know where they fall out on the argument, but I think you can add uh, GV Wire unfiltered uh, to the list of uh, media outlets that uh, Governor Newsom probably needs to pay attention to because I think it's a switcheroo. Yeah, it's um, it's there. There's a possibility that they may go back one year on the grandfather, and what will happen is they'll only give you instead of a 20-year. When you, when you hook up to solar, you have a 20-year grandfathered-in clause that you're going to get that, that net energy metering for, you know, the, the, the 2.0 for, for 20 years. And then, but this may go to 15, and it may reach back and claw back people that were in last year. So I think a lot of that is what was upsetting to everybody, that they're coming in and kind of overreaching on existing homes that already signed up for this. You know, it, it's it, it's really a, a little bit unscrupulous to go back to people who have already signed this deal that you made, you set, you said we're going to be mandated and you had to do it because not everybody would want to do it. I think aside from the mandate, solar would have been, you know, still a good product. You know, Granville's been putting solar on their home for a long time and they felt it's the right thing to do. And for the homeowner, it's a great thing because they all save money. On that, so so yes, you're 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 correct. If they're going to go in and start changing the rules, it's going to affect people going forward. But it 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 could sink the solar industry. It really could in California. And California is the national standard for solar installation. There are more homes installed with solar in California than other state. You know, it it came out and yeah, we're going to do this. And it's interesting that that they're they're backing out of it. And I don't know if it's if it's a, if it's a new leader of that division that's decided to do this. But um, I think uh, it's it's not something the government probably wants in his legacy. The governor wants in his legacy that 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 this was the big green state, and you're going to pull the plug on that. So I think right. a lot of people came in and spoke about it. So let me ask you this: to still stick with the basics for to begin this show. How, what is the average um, number of kilowatts produced by the average house in California? What size solar system do they put up? I think you said six kilowatt system. How that's much that's the average for Granville on their homes, yes. Okay, what's the average across the state? How much does that cost? Well, let's just stay in the Central Valley. We get great sunlight sure. in the Central Valley. How much does it cost to put up the average system for, a, for somebody in the Central Valley, right now, how long can they anticipate until that system saves enough money to pay back their investment? And what is the latest on that? Uh, if you could catch us up on that. Sure, that's a great question. So we're, we're probably, average systems now are probably three and a half kilowatts in, in California, because uh, a lot of it comes out based on the Title 24s, the energy efficiency of the home, and they want to have these system size. So we're we're, we're governed by um, the, um, the CEC and their calculator that they built. So if we're looking at three, we're looking at about 10 grand a house, okay? 
The ROI on that 10 grand is probably, I would say three to five years, depending on how much electricity you use, but your, you know, your production, your production is what it is. And so in a lot of these communities, we get upgrade options and people want to do a little bit more. And then that just pays it off quicker. And then once it's paid off, it's a cash cow and they're just making money off their, off their solar because they've already paid for it. But to simply answer your question, it's, it's roughly, you know, three to five years in, in California. Okay. So that's the start. So the average system can get paid off in three to five years, depending on your solar, uh, I mean, depending on your energy use. Now, everybody's heard that you basically can sell back excess energy to the grid. Now, how much does the average person who's got one of these systems, how much monthly do they sell back to the grid? That, that is, it depends on the system size. I did make a couple notes so that we could look at some comparative system sizes. So if you've got a system that, you know, say three and a half KW, it might be producing 5,000 kilowatt hours a year. So if your home is using eight or nine, or say, say eight kilo, eight, 8,000 kilowatt hours of electricity a year, and you're producing 5,000, as it stands right now with NEM 2.0, you get all the credit for what you produce, okay? So it's called, what they do is an annual true up in PG&E. So you start the year and you look at, you look at, you know, the winter, your electricity bill's high. Then it drops down in the spring, it goes up in the summer, it drops down in the fall, goes back up in the winter, okay? At the end of that year, they give you a true up bill because you've overproduced, you've underproduced throughout the year, and then it balances itself out. And then once that happens, you can look at your bill and maybe at the end of the year, you've got, you know, a, a couple hundred dollars in a true up fee. Just depends on how the system size for that particular house. Okay. That's fantastic. Darius, uh, one thing I was talking about with Bryce ahead of uh, the show beginning tonight is, you know, I'm looking at property in Montana and in the Northwest part of Montana in the mountain communities, I mean, almost everybody is putting in solar. Half of them are completely off the grid. So these folks are putting in solar systems that power their own house. Even when there's a storm that comes in for 10 days, they have enough energy in reserve in the battery to power through until the sunlight comes back out again. Worst case scenario, they have a generator backup. So Bryce, what stops somebody in California from telling the governor to pound sand, I'm gonna put up my own system I'm not going to limit myself to four kilowatts. I'm going to put up a 12 kilowatt system. I'm going to produce all of my energy, sell some to my neighbors and completely wire my house. There what is, stops that from happening? There is a great impetus and many, many do look at that. We just installed a 24 kW system with four battery backups because he didn't want to write a check to them at all. And so the beauty of a battery backup with a solar system especially in California where we don't get snow and, and heavy coverage on the solar panels is that when the power goes out, now you have your own built-in utility. You have solar panels and battery backup. Most people go with two, maybe three batteries. They can do the whole house and they can live off the grid for quite a while. And then you, and those batteries, though they're not you know, cost-effective individually, but collectively, you can you can pay for those batteries a lot quicker when you do what's called rate arbitrage. You 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 have the battery taking in the electricity when it's off peak and it's 20 cents, and then you turn the, the batteries on when it's peak in the evening and run your whole house with it, and that cycle just continues throughout the year. But if there's ever a power outage, and a lot of people are in areas where they do have power outages. Uh, it's funny, this state, you know, one of the greatest states in the country, but we just don't have reliable electricity all the time. People are going with the battery backup so that they have a closed system and they can rely and take care of their own their own needs. But, but people are, are, are doing that. Not everybody's doing it maliciously, but you have people who have electric cars that take two to 3,000 kilowatt hours a year. So if you throw a couple of those in, now you've doubled your usage for the home. So your system size has to grow and you have to have you know, some more backup to be able to accommodate that too. I gotta, so the, go ahead, Darius. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you, Steve, you go. So in the past, it seemed like if you were gonna do solar, you were gonna either connect to the grid or you were gonna do this off-grid thing where you have a battery. But what you're saying, Bryce, is the latest thing is you get the best of both worlds 
you have a battery backup, but you're still connected to the grid. Sure. When power is cheap, you use the energy from the grid as throughout the day when the power goes up in the in the hours that they that power increases in cost, then you switch over. And now you're using your battery. Is it is that what I'm picking up? Correct. You you your batteries, the you know, for, for example, the Tesla power wall, let's give Elon Musk a plug. Those those are are very programmable, and you can um, you can program them to do to to be there in the evening. You know between because because when your your peak hours are from five to nine, okay. You can also they have a storm watch where you can set it if if you're getting a red flag warning where there's going to be high winds and the power is going to go off, it will quit feeding it to the home and just store it up and be ready for the the, the outage. And then when the outage happens, those two work independently. A single solar system on a home, when the power goes out, it shuts off. Because if you've got one of Darius's 100 house subdivisions and they've got 5KW on all these houses, you've got you know 50,000 watts blowing back to all of this power and somebody's gonna get hurt. So they have to automatically shut off and the power gets shut off. And so they won't feed back into the grid. But with a battery, now it becomes a closed system and you can still perform and keep all of your essential loads your refrigerators and lights and things that you need going. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, Rice. Uh, so you, you talked about power generation and years ago, there was a power plant that was going to be built in the Bay area, but there was not allowed. I think there they 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 got sued by a bunch of different groups. Is part of part of the reason we have brownouts? And I know we're talking about solar, but the fact that we don't have enough power generation generating plants in California. It my understanding is that 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 is what it is, you know. Or they can't get the power from other states when it's needed. When you have these 110 degree days and everybody's blowing their their air conditioners full blast and those things are are heavy you know draws on the on the grid um yeah and and there's just you know more and more of it i i don't know what else it could be other than just not enough not enough power to produce and and that's that to me is what's a little baffling about this move by by the government to want to come in and, and kind of change this up because solar's done a lot for for these utilities too you're not you're not building more coal-fired plants. You're not building more, you know, gas-fired plants. You know, you're, you're eliminating some things because you have all of this, you know, immediately need. I know it changes the curve of how power is available, but they can take that power that you're producing, that you're overproducing, and they can use that as well and shift it to wherever they want to. And that's a lot of their infrastructure that they build that so that they can use all this excess power in the areas that they need it. I'm, I'm still... I mean, the power outages, the brownouts, I haven't, you know, those are, you know, few and far between. Most of it is is the, the high winds and the fire and everything that PG&E went through the last couple of years with, with all of the, the lawsuits that they're trying to protect themselves from mitigation. Um, I, I think they should find other ways like burying wires and keeping things out of, out of harm's way to, to really help. And I know going forward, that's all done that way, but they're retrofitting a lot of stuff now, I've noticed. So part of the question is, as you brought it up earlier, as uh, Californians buy and operate more electric cars, I mean, how are we going to generate all that additional power uh, uh, to to take care of you know the the, the demands the uh, electric vehicles and you know e-bikes? I know the e-bikes are out there. I know I know yeah, there are several folks. I know several folks that have e-bikes. They don't burn as much electricity, but cars definitely have a demand. And then now we're looking at electric trucks um, and semi trucks. So where's that power going to come from? And, and, and if the incentives to generate your own power is actually going down, uh, you know, how, what's going to happen to our state as, you know, majority of us in the next 10, 15 years end up being, well, actually we're going to be forced to uh, drive electric cars. A lot of car manufacturers are stopping combustion engine manufacturing. Um, any ideas on that? I know you don't work for the PUC uh, to, to figure out how to generate power, but uh, you, you have a, you you in the business of power generation on top of the roof, individual homes or apartments or commercial. But any thoughts on that? As we um, more and more of us drive electric cars, 
And well, by the way, there I think, were... you know, when I when I spoke earlier about the electric cars, you know, they're they're anywhere from 2,500 to 3,000 kilowatt hours a year. You know, if you've got a home, these new homes, I guess part, you know, saving grace is that new homes that you, that you guys are building are so much more efficient and the demand for electricity in those have, have gone down quite a bit. I mean, I lived in a 1980s home and it was, you know, it was costing me, you know, that thing was using, you know, 12, 13,000 kilowatt hours a year. You build a home like that today and it, it's, it's going to be half of that. You know, so that helps with the, the overall demand, but that is a that is going to be an, an ongoing issue. They're going to have to figure out on how to get enough. You know, it maybe have to generate you know more more coal coal fire and gas fired plants because solar can do so much. But you know, unless they look at at, at nuclear or something where they can they can you know get cleaner you know, generated electricity that may never fly in California, as you know, but it's still a great source of electricity and it's, and it's, uh, it can spread out, you know, over, over great distances. I, I just think that um, getting rid of the gas cars, um, that, that's going to be, that's going to be a burden. I mean, even gas powered blowers and stuff, everything's going to be electric that they, I mean, as far as the guy that's in the office right now wants it to go, I don't know that that's the best way to go. I think we've done great with cleaning the air up and taking care of uh, emissions and what have you. But um, that's that's something that they're shooting for. And if that does happen and we have to do it, there's going to be a lot more demand for electricity to, you know, well, I don't know what well, that answer is, Darius. Well, you did. But here's the thing. Uh, I know that gas appliances are getting banned in all new homes. I can't remember if it's uh, 2023 or the next few years. Uh, which, which puts more demand on electricity. Uh, Inga has got a great point on, you know, first of all, let's talk about cars. Electric cars and their batteries. Uh, do they, What's going to happen to those batteries seven, eight, ten years down the road? They got to get recycled. There's no recycling program right now. They have to be, they get thrown in landfills and they leak out. So what kind of a harm does that you know, produced to the environment until we figure out how to, uh, you know, recycle the batteries for all these electric vehicles. And then her question is, uh, is it really better as, uh, you know, effective materials on the, please address the effect of materials on the environment. Is it really better than fossil fuels, natural gas, coal? Basically, you know, the, the panel, electric, the, the solar panels, what happens to them after, 20 years, do we recycle them? Uh, I know the, the, the productivity goes down to some, to some level and as newer material uh, become, become available. And my guess is 20 years from now, we're not gonna be using solar panels. The photovoltaic or photo, the, the electric producing components of each home are, are gonna be your paint, your windows. Maybe the roof is all solar, but you don't, you don't have to in, actually install something on top of your roof. But so what's going to happen with all these electric electric panels? We're going to charge you a fee for each one of those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a solar panel is actually, you know, very recyclable. You've got you've got tempered glass, you've got aluminum, you've got lots of silver, you've got copper, you know, you've got a lot of components that are quite recyclable. Um, the battery issue is definitely a conversation that continues to float around. And, and I have not spoken to anybody yet that says, we'll do this and this. I just don't think it's front of mind like it needs to be because the batteries, say a Tesla battery has a 10 year life on it, you know, and the, the end phase batteries there, you look at a 10 year life and then, you know, where are we at with all those batteries and what's the plan going to be? I believe they'll have to come up with something. Um, but as, as far as I know, I have not heard of any type of recycling for those batteries. And I, and, and there's a lot of them out there that are getting to the end of life and have to be replaced, uh, because Priuses have been around for a long time and they have batteries in them. There's a lot of uh, cars out there that have been around that have these, these batteries in them. And I have not heard a solution for, um, the recycling of those parts. I am, you know, there may be inner, inner parts of things that can be gutted and recycled, um, but there's, you know, a lot of acid and things in them that, that you just don't, you know, you don't want in the landfill, that's for sure. Bryce, how about the Tesla Powerwall? How long does that battery last? 10 years. And how much does it cost? 16, 17 grand. 
Oh yeah. So there's quite an expense. So you, every 10 years you have to reinvest another 16, 17 grand plus with inflation, we know uh, with the inflation that the, uh, the president is having this experience right now, you know, it's going to be 34 grand next year, 64 grand the year after that. So it's quite an investment to stay with it. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of dollars that could be uh, that uh, that could be spent uh, that may need to be spent if you want to store electricity appropriately. Mike, you had a comment. And yes, welcome, sir. welcome to the show. Thanks. Sorry to be late. Uh, speaking of power, there's a there's a power grab happening at City Hall right now. If you guys want to go look at that, nothing renewable about it. Oh, what's hey? What's going on? What's going on at City Hall? No, I'm just teasing. We were just talking about, uh, you know, today I was talking about some of the issues about, in, in, in fact, in, installing solar retrofitting to current apartment complexes and the fees we charge for them, trying to make it more streamlined because it is a little bit more difficult when it's not new construction, but that's one of the issues we're talking about today. And then power shifting, um, you know, we had a, a couple, it had an interesting week last week on the city council. Uh, they try to censor people that don't want uh, to put our all eggs in one basket and force people to make choices. I mean, this idea of natural gas going away from that, it's a foolish idea on its face. Um, but we have a situation in City Hall now where they want one type of opinion, they want yes men, and they're going to uh, keep anyone who wants to think independently or think cons fiscally conservatively uh, away from a leadership position. So that's what happens. Well, Mike, hey, my, Darius, of course, you, you and I both know this. Mike is, to, for the GV Wire unfiltered audience, really Mike is one of those voices, those independent voices that they are trying to penalize. And what they're doing is um, generally the presidency, the vice presidency of Fresno City Council rotates. Uh, they've done away with that. Now the little block uh, can continue to vote one of their own members in each place. Guys like Mike this year have been eliminated. He should have been vice president this year leading to the presidency next year. So when Mike talks about those independent, strong voices being taken away, he's talking about himself and then a couple of others as well. So I think it's been detrimental. It's something that um, the media has picked up on here locally lately, and I'm glad that they are. It's really not right. Citizens of Fresno deserve better, uh, like they have many times over. Like you said, it's about what's best for everyone in this city and not just certain residents, but all residents. So the reason I want to talk to our guest, um, it looks like, um, speaking of the president, um, our, we, have, we have a 15% tariff on solar imports, which is set to expire in February. Looks like that's going to change. I mean, I, I think from what I've read, 89% of U.S. solar uh, photovoltaic shipments in 2020, 89% were from foreign sources, but domestic production has just skyrocketed what, 372% since 2018. So do you have any thoughts on whether the tariff should be extended? It looks like they're going to extend it, but um, have there been any supply chain issues? Are we able to have more domestic production to make sure more people that want to go to solar can and in a more cost-effective way? Well, the cost-effective is the piece, is that most of the domestic solar that was produced is, is just, it, it, it's, it's a lot uh, more costly. And okay. so, with the the uh, the tariffs, uh, there were some issues with um, panels that they thought were being produced by slave labor that they were banning from the country. Um, thank goodness, the stuff we use on Granville Homes is, is none of that. Um, I haven't heard anything lately on on the tariffs and, and the drop off. I just I just know that the demand for solar, even in just the state of California, is so high that domestically that the, the companies weren't, weren't able to sustain themselves. There's been five or six that, that we worked with. We wanted to be bragging about, you know, made in the USA, we want that, but we have to go with reliability and, and, and the quality has been good. The, the, the cost has been something that we can continually work with. Um, I know we will look at it when, the, when, when that comes about again, but it just, we have not been really approached by many you know, domestic, you know, manufacturers. Um, there, there's been a lot of big ones go down. Let me piggyback on that one. So that, that really helps me because at first I was thinking maybe the tariffs are a good thing to force more domestic production. However, um, the cost of mandates like having to go solar, it may sound like a great thing, but that gets passed on to the consumer. And we want middle-class people to afford homes. So these mandates get passed on to the customer. So what you're telling me is the tariffs could in a way hurt the customer by raising the 
not necessarily having the reliability there yet and raising the price of the cost to produce um, quality energy solutions. Yeah, I think that, the, that a lot of the domestics did early on were complaining about, you know, these cheap foreign panels, but they couldn't compete price-wise because of the labor pool that, that, that builds those products and the raw materials. They have a lot of the raw materials right on site there, in, you know, overseas, Malaysia and all these places where these panels Vietnam. are being made. So. And, and, and Vietnam too. No, most, doesn't most of it come from Vietnam? Uh, most of them still come from, from the Malaysia area. Okay. I mean, I know that's where a lot of ours come from. I, I don't cool. know about okay. Vietnam, to be honest with you. All right. Good to know. Thank you. Sure. Darius, they, they produce the solar panels over there, <laughs> but the factory that's producing them is being run by coal. Okay. That's what, <laughs> I mean, China's commitment, what they say with their mouth is, you know, um, wind solar, but where they say what their pocketbook is, let's build another coal plant this month. And so in 2021, they had a record commitment to coal. And so how does our governor square up all the pain that he's putting us through as Californians when you have the whole nation of China putting out as much coal, putting out as much new, brand new coal power plants that exist across the world today? So, you know, there's a lot of this story about energy production that just doesn't make sense to the average person and it doesn't make sense to me at all. You know, Steve, uh, I don't have the exact stats, but I, I want to say that up to 10% of our uh, pollution comes from China through the jet stream, lands right here in Central California. Uh, and unfortunately, in the last 10 years, 10, really 20 years, we've outsourced so much manufacturing because we just can't get environmental clearance to build factories here in California. So manufacturing jobs have been exported to Mexico and China and Southeast Asia. Of course, now we're dealing with that because we can't get some of those products. And China is telling us, uh, if you toy around with us too much, we will stop shipping or selling you all the parts that every American or so many Americans rely on. I mean, so many things we touch and we purchase comes from China. So they, they, they could be using that as a, as a threat uh, uh, against our economy. But no, a, yeah, it goes beyond um, just power generation and, and pollution. Yeah, to me, uh, California is ridiculous. Uh, and, and we're starting to see the, the result of some of those ridiculous decisions. We've got off coal. Okay, I can dig that. But now we pulled the plug on nuclear except for this last power plant. Now they're scrambling. Maybe we should let it run another 10 years, right? Because uh, MIT did a study, said that's a bad move shutting that thing down. So they're scrambling. They cut off hydroelectric power. They don't like dams anymore. So what we're gonna get stuck with, and I know that we have a solar expert on tonight, and I'm even I'm a proponent of solar. I'm gonna go completely off grid. The governor's not even gonna know about it, <laughs> okay? but. Our commitment is going to be 100% to solar, and then you watch all the problems start at that point. I don't think we have the infrastructure to make, I mean, I don't even think we have the infrastructure to power um, high-speed rail train in addition to what the needs are in the state of California. So the whole thing is quite ridiculous, really, and we're going to find out like we always do. It's stupid. Good points. Mike, you had a comment? Yeah, and this will help us transition to the next subject. Um, so, you know, the in 2020, the last administration passed a rule allowing for us, for areas that don't have pipeline, to be able to use the rail system to transport more liquefied natural gas. And I think it's a real disservice that we're going to take that option away from consumers in California because it is fairly clean and it's another type of energy. I mean, imagine it sounds really simple, but imagine when the power goes out in your home. You need to, it's the winter time. Well, I have a gas stove. I mean, I have you know, a gas barbecue I can use for heat. But anyways, that's really simplistic. So the administration now is looking to take that rule away where we won't be able to transport as much liquefied natural gas through the rail system, which is really unfortunate because a lot of places that don't have a pipeline, this is one way to be able to transport and have more access and lower the co energy cost. I just got my PG&E bill. The gas bill was, it wasn't the electric that kills me. And I just started going electric with my charging at home for my car but I was just shocked at how, how expensive it was. So 
Um, this is kind of the scam, limit access, artificially drive the costs up, and then you get consumers to support a political move that probably isn't in their interests. But with that, talking about transportation, that's our next subject, being able to safely move around this city. Great segue, Mike. I give you A plus on that segue. Yeah, I tried. Right <laughs> that was now, awesome. We have, you know, we have really uh, our next guest on, and Bryce, thank you for joining tonight, and you feel welcome to stick around. Right now, we're going to talk about uh, what it's like to be a bicycler in our community of Fresno. Uh, last week, unfortunately, we had a tragic death, uh, but near Woodward Park, uh, and it kind of brought our awareness back to this issue that we've talked about several times. Uh, tonight, we have on Joe Martinez as our guest in this uh, second part of Unfiltered. And Joe, we, we have a limited number amount of time. Why don't you talk about um, what it's like to be a cyclist here in our community and uh, in the world that we live in today? Um, well, thank you, Steve, for inviting me to be part of your show. Yes, uh, you're right. Uh, tragically, uh, we had a loss of life. Uh, Paul Moore, a very much beloved person here in the city of Fresno, he was uh, tragically killed in a traffic collision uh, while he was on his bike. And uh, I have to say that I, I knew Paul and I can tell you he's a very loved individual. He uh, will be greatly missed by many. Like Paul, um, I too enjoy riding my bike in the city of Fresno. Um, I can't say that I'm you know, that I'm a trained athlete and that I'm doing 100 miles a week on my bike. Um, but I am riding my bike throughout the city of Fresno. I, I live in, in the Fresno High neighborhood. And so there are many protected bike lanes uh, in the Fresno High area that lead down Van Ness. And I do um, ride through the county area of, Van, of the Christmas tree, the old Christmas tree lane. And then I go right back up on Rashawn and then right back on Van Ness. And then I continue my bike ride past Fresno High using the bike lanes. And uh, I'll continue through Tower. And then from Tower, I connect into the downtown area. And then I'll ride my bike in the downtown area. And most of the time I'm riding my bike, not only for um, for health reasons, because it's, it's very healthy to get out and enjoy a, a, a bike ride, especially on a day like this where the air is clean. Uh, you can see, people can see you. Um, and um, those are, of course, very, very important things that need to happen when you are on your bike. But I can tell you, I can tell you that um, that many of our, our, even though we have all these protections and there's these protected bike lanes and we have all these uh, signal lights and we have all these traffic signages um i can tell you it's it's very very um sometimes it feels unsafe and what makes it feel unsafe is uh there's a lot of distractions um and and i'm not trying to point fingers at anyone or anything but I, but i have to tell you that uh, one of the things that i'm really worried about is the speed the speed that uh, folks are traveling uh, up and down our city streets uh, makes me nervous because folks are not following the speed limits and many times they're going up above and beyond what is posted. Um, another thing is folks are running traffic, uh, traffic lights. I feel like it's just everyone for themselves. Uh, another thing is crossing and, and crosswalks. I noticed that when I'm using the crosswalks, sometimes you don't even have enough time to cross the street because the signal light um, runs out on you and before you know it you're you're in the middle of the street and here comes incoming traffic and you you don't you don't you don't even have enough time to finish crossing the street joe uh, let me joe let me ask a quick brief yes, sure. if the bicycle lanes were behind curbs and not on the street uh would that be uh safer yeah, yes and no, Darius. Um, and then I want to go to Mike after them. Uh, I think Mike had a comment on this. Yes, yes, yes and no, because everybody has, first of all, uh, the streets are supposed to be for all users of the road, Darius. Uh, we all know that the streets are not designed for uh, cyclists and for pedestrians uh, and other users of 
of the roads. And, and it, that's the way it's intended to be, but that's not what's happening. Um, uh, and so every, every um, barrier that you can put between the cyclist, pedestrian and a motor vehicle will definitely go a long way in protecting folks. Um, and that's why it's so important and so urgent that we have these protective bike lanes and all these barriers that separate folks. But I can tell you that uh, a lot of folks don't feel safe uh, because of, of the fact that you have vehicles versus pedestrian vehicle versus cyclists. And unfortunately, the pedestrians and the cyclists are going to lose out every time. And so, yeah, um, I definitely believe that if you put folks on yeah. some kind of protective sidewalk or bike lane that definitely has one more barrier between them, uh, yes, more folks are going to ride their bikes and yes, more people will feel safe. But that's just part of the answer, Darius. That's not, <laughs> not the entire answer. Joe, thank you. I think Mike uh, has got a couple of comments. There is a poll on, on GBYR Facebook uh, on cycling. Please, uh, when, you, when you have a minute, uh, this is for the audience. Please uh, take a look and uh, uh, take the poll. Mike. I'm sorry, Mike, you're on mute. I, th I think what uh, Darius was referring to was cycle track, which I, I, you know, I was visiting Mexico uh, as for our sister city trip a couple of years ago. And I noticed that they're doing this there because you're not going to do away with cars over there. It's a, it's a part of transport and their economy and the culture. But they have they built dedicated lanes for pedestrians and cyclists so they can have their own rights to be fully protected. Because you're right, there are issues like distractions and speed that affect people when you know one thing we talked about joe over the over the last couple months is these collisions are all avoidable it's not like the murder rate this is all avoidable but i want you to do me a favor uh, we had a slide earlier with you and speaker pelosi and a picture of your son people may not know this but you actually lost a son to a traffic collision can you tell us a little bit about what it's like being a parent facing something like that well uh yes uh, a couple of weeks ago i was invited to a press event that uh, Nancy Pelosi, our Speaker of the House, held uh, in San Francisco, and I, I am a state advocate for street safety across the state of California, and I do hold uh, um, some involvement with some organizations focused on that. So, yeah, and one of the things that the, the Speaker of the House talked about was that monies will be earmarked uh, specifically for safety improvements with our streets, with our sidewalks, with the way... Th uh, the way that our infrastructure is being designed so that folks are safe. Uh, tragically, eight years ago, Mike, I did lose my son, Paul. Paul was a pedestrian here in the city of Fresno. And like uh, many pedestrians, uh, Paul felt it was safe to cross the street when that wasn't the case. A speeding driver uh, traveling 54 miles uh, in a 40 mile designated speed limit uh, hit Paul and like all, um, reports and data show 90% of all pedestrians who are um, killed involves a um, person driving or traveling 90, pardon me, 40 and faster. Uh, and so yes, speed does kill. And so um, no parent, no parent should ever have to feel that pain in order to have safe streets and no parent should ever have to go through what, what, I, th what I went through. And so Mike, I was able to find um, purpose with my pain and I was able to um, become an advocate. Uh, and so I belong to an organization called Families for Safe Streets and the entire membership is made up of, of grieving parents turned into advocates. And today we advocate for safe streets, uh, not only uh, in the Bay Area, which is where I'm heavily involved in, but also across the, the state of California specifically as it relates to um, policies, um, strategies, safety improvements, um, slower, slower speeds uh, in, in our community and also equity, making sure that uh, areas that have been identified as high injury streets that pass through low income and disadvantaged communities are not forgotten and that these communities are a priority when it comes to safety improvements. So I take that, I take that yeah. message across well, the state. Well, let me ask you this, Joe, if it's okay, Darius. Yeah, How please. do we avoid the, the confrontation? Because I've noticed sometimes when we talk about this with politicians, there's, they, they don't want to talk about how to 
find a way to coexist. It's like, well, you need to punish cars. No more cars on the road. We need to worry about pedestrians and bicyclists. And it's the opposite saying, no, it's all about cars. How do we find a way to actually, I mean, because you're right, enforcing speed limits, making sure people use their turn signals or paying attention. Don't just turn quickly on Fry into Audubon and not see someone and hit them. Those are all extremely important, but we, we need people power, manpower, as they call it, and, and officers to stop that. Uh, but how do we avoid having this conversation, making it political and focus on actual results? Well, well, Mike, and I appreciate you asking that tough question. And the answer is like many streets who have been confronted with the same challenges. The city of San Francisco has been facing the same challenge. The city of Los Angeles was facing the same challenge. Every major California city has faced this challenge, Mike. And what they have, what they all have in common is they have adopted something called Vision Zero. Vision Zero is a, is a, a street policy um, plan that basically um, calls for, calls for um, zero traffic deaths. It calls for um, adopting the principles of enforcement, engineering, evaluation, education. It's all of it, Mike. It's not just one. You can't do one without the others. So it has to be an action strategy. Uh, every two years, the city of San Francisco reviews its Vision Zero plan, and they identify specific strategies that they would like to accomplish over a period of two years. In fact, they just released the 2021 action strategy report based on Vision Zero, and they've identified specific strategies that they want to focus in on. Um, and so it starts there, Mike. It, it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with Darius. It starts with the departments at City Hall. It starts with the, the health folks, law enforcement, and our community together. Together we're stronger and together we will definitely accomplish more. Um, so would be would be a good start. Uh, could you repeat that last sentence, Joe? Sure. Uh, I, I talked about uh, that this uh, that this question really involves all of us. All of us. Together so, we're together we're stronger and we can right. accomplish more. So Joe, uh, Enga has got a uh, great question. Are you in schools teaching safety? Because that, that's part of the, the program as well. Right? You, you got to educate folks. And, but, and then I, after you give us a brief answer on that, and very brief because we're almost out of time, I want yes. to go back to what Mike brought up and talk about cycle tracks. But go ahead. In 30 seconds or less, Joe. Well, we know our law enforcement's already involved in our schools through safe routes to schools. And law enforcement is charged with the education of our young people, learning about uh, back to basics of learning what it means to be safe when you are a pedestrian. And that means uh, looking both ways. It means uh, observing uh, traffic signals, using a crosswalk, um, making sure that you're not being a distracted pedestrian. But we all have a part of that. And that education does start at home as well. Uh, with parents. We as parents have a responsibility to educate our children about what it means to be safe as well. Got it. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. And really, uh, I know I've, you, you and I have talked about the pain that you, you went through losing your son, and thank you for being a really strong advocate. And uh, I'm a cyclist, not for daily, but I do it for uh, recreation and, and a workout on the weekends. And every time I get on a road, even though it's a uh, you know side road, not a main major street, I'm I'm concerned about getting hit. Cyclists are quiet; they're narrow. Uh, you know we don't make we don't actually we don't make any noise, so uh, less visible uh, and, and you, you can't hear us. So that's why I believe uh, to be become a, a bicyclist or cyclist community, we need to strongly look at what Mike talked about which is cycle tracks. Uh, uh, Portland has it, Amsterdam does it. Uh, Mike was in uh, Mexico. Uh, I know uh, East Coast, several cities have it. In Indianapolis is one of them. Uh, it's basically having a barricade. It may be just a, you know, a plastic barricade between cyclists and uh, uh, motor vehicles uh, to keep us uh, safer out there. I definitely agree. And I think also what you're talking about is quick build programs as well, which uh, is focused on safety improvements between um, 
our cyclists who are on the roads as well as uh, the drivers. Right. Okay, if there's no other uh, comments, we're gonna go to closing statements. Um, and Joe, you uh, there's a little echo coming. I mean, we may have to, all of us put our phones on mute on this if we're um, talking. Okay, there we go, perfect. Um, Steve, you wanna go first? Or you yeah, yeah, I'll go first and real quick. I don't wanna, I think what we need to do with uh, the bicycling subject, Darius, is Unfiltered needs to come back next week or the week after. There's much more of this conversation that needs to be had. When you say cycle track, I think we owe it to the um, viewers to show them what you're talking about so they'll have an understanding. And, and, and that's the same with almost every component of, of the conversation dealing with safe streets and, and bicycling and cars and how to make that whole thing work. So I don't have a lot of comments on that today. I want to thank Joe for coming on the show and probably kicking off a conversation that we might continue with uh, as the weeks go by. I do want to also thank Bryce for coming on and talking about solar. Um, solar is another thing that's very complex, and we might talk about it in the future. Uh, we have a lot of viewership. A lot of people are interested. Uh, California's made a big commitment to solar. They've been pushing people to get solar. Now that we've got solar, they're kind of pulling the carpet out from underneath us. And they're not gonna give us as many dollars back uh, as we connect to the grid as promised. And so, and then they're also gonna charge a fee, a monthly fee for how many kilowatt um, uh, system you have. So they're playing switcheroo again. I think it's dangerous, probably gonna backfire. That's my closing remarks for this week on Unfiltered. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Mike. Yeah, I just want to thank both of our guests and I want to thank Joe for coming on. I agree with Steve. We should have another show on this subject and have more pictures and examples. Um, one of the things um, we're going to do on February the 10th at the council meeting, and there'll be more details to come. Usually the day of remembrance is at the end of the year, but we were not able to have a formal ceremony. So we're going to do that probably and remember victims and have speakers come and talk about victims that have been lost in these collisions that are completely avoidable. And so we'll have more information for our, our uh, viewers on that and maybe even organize. I, I, I was going to talk to Steve about this, organizing a ride. Our police department's really great where they'll they'll volunteer their time and they'll actually create a route we can go down through the city, hopefully to the San Joaquin River. And so we're going to work on that. And if any of our viewers want to join in, we'll put that out there on our Junior Wires <laughs> uh, Facebook. And um, we'll try and Steve and I, I don't know who's going to win the race, me or Steve, but we'll try and work something out. Mike, first, I have to buy a new bicycle because my last bike was stolen. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this is why we need more funding for PD. I'm telling you. <laughs> and you know, my, my, my gift, uh, in fact, Darius remembers this, it, when I won the election was to buy a bike, a, a bike. It was the most expensive bike I've ever bought, but it's a great bike for riding. So I'd love to use it again. So we'll, we'll, we'll arrange that. Yeah, bikes, bikes are hard to find. Uh, so uh, make sure you, you get them locked up. Otherwise they'll, uh, escape your garage or your front door. Yeah. yeah. What brand was your bike? That might be the bike I bought. Who knows? <laughs> I bought your bike. No, I'm just. Was, yeah. Go ahead. The Huffy. No, Niki. I think it's Nikisha. I don't know if that's the way you pronounce it. It's Jap it was a Japanese bike. Okay. Cool. But it was made in Mexico. Not Kawasaki. <laughs> 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 that isn't no. a bike, Steve. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, Joe. Uh, closing comments, uh, one minute or less, please. Yes, I'd like to thank uh, Adaria, Steve, and Mike for inviting me to be part of this very important conversation. You're right. Um, it does need to continue. Uh, I'd like to thank the city and the county for uh, their support of our cyclists and our pedestrians. So important that folks are safe. And it's so important that they have safe streets to walk and cycle. So thank you very much for your support. We look forward to uh, your, your support on February 10th and participation as well. So thank you. Awesome, thank you, Joe. And, um, you know, as a cyclist, uh, it's, uh, it, it could be dangerous out there for all the reasons I, I just outlined a few minutes ago. And on the solar, uh, first of all, thank you, Joe, for getting on, for coming on the show and talking about the issues that you've gone through, the pain you've suffered, and, and, the, and the change you're trying to bring to our community, uh, a positive change to keep us more, more safe. Um, and uh, on the solar item, 
uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm upset too. If, if I'm producing solar and now I'm just gonna get charged a fee to produce it and to get it back to the grid, which really lowers the electric uh, uh, demand for new power generation plants, uh, I'm gonna be upset. So we're gonna be watching that closely. We'll see if the, the, the state of California is gonna change direction. We'll see what Elon Musk has to say about that going forward. And uh, so stay tuned. On behalf of all of us at uh, GV Wire, uh, Unfiltered Show, uh, have a great evening and uh, talk, to you, talk to you all soon. Take care.